Shalom, Chavre. So I want to start off by thanking Chazak and Torani Time for all the incredible things that they do for Klai Yisrael and obviously for putting together this year. And this year we're going to talk about some incredible, incredible topics. We're getting to Pesach, which is such an incredible time. We're going from winter to spring, from Purim to Pesach. And there's so many incredible themes here to talk about. What I want to do is I want to talk about the power and the depth of miracles. And there are four types of miracles, as we'll develop throughout the course of this year. Um, each has their own unique purpose. Each has their own unique nakuda, something which we need to really delve into the concept of miracles as a whole, but also each category of miracles and its purpose. But I want to start off with a story. The story is of a boy who comes to class one day, and he sees another boy in class who's clapping his hands incessantly, just doesn't stop clapping his hands, does it all day. And he comes to class the next day, and again, this classmate is just clapping his hands, doing it all day, every day. And this goes on for days, it goes on for weeks. Until one day, the boy looks towards this, this clapping friend who just claps all day, and by this point, he's come to the realization that this boy must have some, some you know, defects. It just, he can't help but clap, and it's fine. But just, that's the way it has been. It's the way it is. It's the way it always will be. And for a moment, he's looking at this boy clap, and the boy who's clapping turns to him, makes eye contact, stops clapping, smiles, winks, and then goes back to clapping. Now, what did... The boy who saw this, what did he realize? That's what we're going to get back to at a later point in this year. But this frames our, our overall discussion of what is natural, what happens all the time, what stops happening at certain times, what is the nature of miracles? I mean, we, we don't witness miracles anymore. The, the, the stage of miracles has ended. We don't have prophecy, we don't have miracles, we don't have a lot of things that we read about when we read about the Pesach story. Makas Bechoros, Kriyas Yamsuf, all these fantastic miracles, we don't have them anymore. And the question is, what is a miracle? But I would think the best way to approach this entire topic is to look at something very unique that happens in the Torah. Hashem reveals himself to Moshe Rabbeinu, but in doing so, he says that I'm revealing myself to you and to Klai Yisrael in a way that I didn't reveal myself to the Avos. The Pasuk says, Vaydaber Elokim Moshe, Vayomer Elav, Ani Hashem Yudke Vavke. I'm Yudke Vavke. And he's telling Moshe, I'm Yudke Vavke. But then he tells him that to Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, I didn't reveal myself in this way. I revealed myself in the, in the form of Kel Shakai, which is also, we're going to get to this in a few minutes. We're going to try to understand the different names of Hashem. But Hashem revealed himself in a different way, in the form of, we're going to just refer to as Elohim. But to Moshe Rabbeinu and to Klai Yisrael, he's going to reveal himself as Yudke Vavke. The, the, the unique name of Hashem, Shem HaMiyuchad. What, what does that mean? What are the different names of Hashem? And how is Hashem's revelation to, to Moshe Rabbeinu and to Klai going to be fundamentally different than to the Avos? How did Hashem reveal himself to the Avos? How did Hashem reveal himself to Klai Yishol? What was the difference? So we're really trying to understand the essence of a miracle, the essence of a name, the different shames, the different shames, the different names of Hashem, and how the different names refer to different aspects of revelation of Hashem, and how those different revelations of Hashem refer to different types of miracles, and the relationship between the miraculous and the natural. Because we basically have different forms of miracles. We have then the form of the natural, which we need to understand what does it mean to, for something to be natural. If I would ask you, what, what does it mean for something to be natural? What is nature? 
something that happens all the time. It's something that is it repeats itself. The sun rises every day. That's natural. But what makes it natural? What makes something part of nature? What makes something miraculous? In order for something to be miraculous, what needs to happen? Think of it that way. And I'm not going to give you an answer. I want you to think about it. But what we're going to do is we're going to try to understand what is Yudke Vavke, what is Elohim, what are the names of Hashem. Uh, when we refer to the concept of miracles, once again, we, we, we need to understand why are the miracles associated with different names of Hashem? And why does Hashem have names? Why does Hashem have different names? I mean, we need to understand what a name is, and we, you don't have different names. You don't go by one name in this place, another name in that place. You have a name. So why does Hashem have different names? What does it mean for Hashem to have a name? And to take it a step further, when we talk about miracles, why did, and many of you have, we've talked about this many times in the past, so if, if it's familiar to some of you, we're going to hopefully take it a, a step deeper today. But why has history changed in that originally the world was full of miracles? Hashem revealed himself through many miracles in the times of the Avos, in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. We had the Makos, then Kriyas Yamsov, the Ma'an Torah, and the Ma'an, and the Ver um, Miriam. What happened to all the miracles that we used to experience? Why has the world shifted to this more natural stage? And obviously we need to understand also why Purim is always connected to Pesach. Purim is always, I mean, in the calendar, Purim is always next to Pesach, but we always try to make Purim as close to Pesach as possible, and the miracle of Purim is always meant to be in, in direct contrast to the miracle of Pesach. And why is that? So lots of questions to think about. These are um, incredible questions. Each question can have a sheer, deserves a sheer answer, right? But we're going to try to put all these pieces together. We're going to try to create something absolutely incredible, and it'll hopefully help us go into Pesach you know, obviously inspired, but also with a lot of clarity so that we go into this Chag with understanding, with a machshav, with a mindset that we can really tap into the unique kochos, the unique power of this Chag. So let's start by trying to understand the name of Hashem. The names of Hashem. And today we need to understand what is the nature of a name. You have a name, I have a name. What, what's the purpose of a name? So if I were to ask you, why does a person have a name? What does a name do? What's the purpose of a name? So in a certain sense, a name is not for you. A name is for other people. It's to help other people relate to you, to call you, to get your attention, but also to how they perceive you and understand you. You don't need a name for yourself. If you are on an island by yourself, you wouldn't need a name. People don't usually look in the mirror and refer to themselves as you know, whatever their name is, they say, I, me, or they just think. You don't, in your own head, you don't really refer to yourself by your name. And that would be a little strange. I mean, it's okay if you do, but most people don't. Most people think of themselves as I, me. And they just think as, as a self, as a consciousness, as a being, as an aware being. A name is so that other people can relate to you, can call you, can refer to you. And it's, it almost becomes how they perceive you. And we're going to try to understand the, the deeper aspects of a name. But on a very simple level, it's a hook. It's how people can draw your attention and how they can, so to speak, connect to you as, as an other. But there's a deeper meaning to a name as well. Because if you think about it, a name can become an expressed, it can almost reveal one's essence. So, so let's try to develop this idea. 
you can't see my mind, you can't see my thoughts, you can't see my consciousness, myself. All you can see is my body and, and my facial expressions. And you can hear my words. You can see how, and hear how I express myself outwards. That's my expressed self. In that same sense, a shame is an expressed aspect of your essence. So it has the same root, as the same shorish as the word neshama, as essence, right? It has, we're not going to get into the others, there's also Mishnah, there's also Shemin, Shemona. We're not going to get into all these f fantastic topics that we've talked about in the past. But a name reveals essence. It reflects essence. It reflects its something's role and purpose. That's why the Hebrew language is so full, because a, a word is what it is. And by understanding the word, you can understand, or something's name, you can understand its tafkid, its essence, what it is. That's why there's this unique idea that the parents who name their children, they have this Ruach HaKodesh when they name it. Why? Because they're attaching a name which is of essence. If you ask, look at any name in the Tanakh, the name perfectly reflects the essence of that person. So Avraham, sorry, we're not going to get into all the examples, but if you look at each person's name and you dissect it, the name isn't just practical, it's fundamental. So it's not just a way of calling someone, it also reveals who they are. A name reflects essence. That's also, you know, in, in, in my you know, humble opinion, it's why that idea of a parent naming a child happens specifically after the child is born. Because what is a name? A name is an, is, it reflects essence. But remember, it always is a limited expression of essence. So a name and a word is always not the thing itself. It expresses the thing. So, for example, an idea is transcendent, but a, a word is a limited casing that expresses that idea. So if you look at, the, what is word? A, a word is davar, which means a thing. It's malay, which means the, uh, mila, which means the cut. It's a table, which is a box. Because what you do when you express ideas into words is you take something which is infinite and you give it boundaries. And it's a table, it's a box. Davar is just that thing. It's a mila. You cut out from the infinite something limited and you put it in that box and it becomes a word. So a thought is infinite until it becomes an expressed thought in words. So when you experience life, there's no words for that. That's something just beyond words. You then give it finite expression through words. And that's why when parents name their children, it's specifically once they see the child. It's not when it's in the womb, it's once the child's born, because once it becomes expressed, once there's a limited expression of that neshama into the world, you then get a shame, a name, which is a limited expression of your essence. It's ha it, 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 you know, the parents get Ruach HaKodesh for the name of the child because the name is an expression of the essence of that child. But that only is given to them once the child is expressed into the world. It's powerful, powerful, powerful idea. And that's why when we talk about Hashem, Hashem having names, what do we mean? Hashem himself, we'll just say Ein Sof, that which is, has no end. There's a reason why Hashem is given the name, it's because Hashem doesn't really have a name. Hashem is, is completely and absolutely perfect and transcendent. But how he expresses himself in this world, that limited expression does have a name. And that, that name, there are many of them. Why? Because they reflect how Hashem expresses himself in this world. Now, the names are not from his perspective, because from his perspective, he doesn't need a name. He is absolutely perfect. But in terms of how he relates to us and how we relate to him, that's where the Shemus Hashem come into play. 
So Yud Kevavke, we, we have so many names. Yud Kevavke, we have Alkim, we have the Shem Agnus, we have Kel, we have Shakai, we have Shalom. So many names of Hashem. Each one of these names reflects a certain, me the certain, has a unique nature. And it reflects how Hashem reveals himself in this world, how Hashem, so to speak, expresses himself in this world. And what I want to do is I want to delve into Yud Kevavke and Elohim. Because, I mean, the Ramban says that the whole Torah is one giant shame Hashem. Why? Because it's a, re- it's a revelation of Hashem. The Torah is a revelation. A shame is a revelation of essence. It reveals who you are. The Torah is a revelation of Hashem's essence. It's a giant expression of Akash Baruch Hu's will, Ratzon and Chachma. And that's why the Ramban says that the Torah is, it says this in the introduction to his Pirish on the Torah, that the entire Torah is one extended, one elongated shame Hashem. What about Yud Kevavke and Elikim? So I want to do, what I want to do is I want to delve into these two names a little deeper. And I want to understand why it was that Hashem was only revealing Yud Kevavke now to Moshe Rabbeinu, but he didn't do it previously. What was the transition? So Yud Kevavke is a unique, it's the Shem HaMiyuchad, it's, it's the unique Shem Hashem. And we can we can really spend hours and hours delving into Yud Kevavke because each letter has its own Torah. You can you can talk about the Yud, the K, the Vav, the K, and why we, we can go we can talk for hours and hours about each aspect of this name. But if you look at the Mefarshim, you look at 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 the the Rishonim, you look at even at the Shulchan Aruch talks about this Yud Kevavke versus Elokim, and the way Chazal talk about it. The notion of Yud Kevavke, that Shem Hashem, it refers to the aspect of Hashem as being beyond time and space, completely transcendent, completely perfect. It's Lamala Minaktavah. It's it's completely beyond the natural world. And the way Chazal referred to it is that if you look at Yud Kevavke, it's Haya Hova It's what was, what is, and what will be. So the simple understanding of that is it's referring to past, present, and future. Hashem knows everything, past, present, and future. The deeper layer here is that it's before time, it's during time, it's after time. Meaning what? Meaning before time comes into existence. Once time comes into existence, and even after time goes out of existence, which we're not going to contemplate too much right now because that's a whole topic in itself, but it's it's completely beyond within and above time in that order. But also, you know, once you're above, you don't need to go within back to being above, but that's what we talk about before, during, and after. It's... So once time comes into existence, you have this concept of past, present, future. Yud Kivakai transcends the concept of movement, the concept of time, the concept of space. It precedes that idea. And, and this is the notion when we talk about Yud we're always referring to the transcendent aspect of Hashem. Elohim, we'll get to in a couple minutes, is referring to the more imminent, the, the expressed aspect of Hashem. Elohim, Chaim, it's how Hashem reveals Himself and has Hashkacha and providence and interaction with the physical world. Yud is the aspect of Hashem, at least what we're talking about, from how we perceive it, we're talking about Yud as the transcendent aspect of Hashem. So beyond this concept before time, during time, after time, Yudkevavke we can also refer to as the makom of the world. The famous midrash that says that the, the world is not the makom of Hashem. Hashem is the makom of the world. So the way we often think of it is that Hashem created the world. But how did he create the world? So we often think of it that there was nothing, and then Hashem, you know, wait, there was nothing, then there was everything? Well, where's Hashem coming to play? So the way that the, the deeper sources talk about it is that before Hashem created the world, there was only Hashem, Enon Milvado. Once Hashem created the world, He created a makam, a space within Himself for us to exist 
And that makom is where we are. We exist within Hashem. And that's, we're not going to get into the concept of Tzimtzum and how he did that. That's a whole topic in itself, whether it's literal or figurative. These are very esoteric topics that really uh, deserve Shirim in, in their own right. But the concept of Hashem being our Makam, which the Midrash talks about, and, and all the, the, the sources talk about Hashem being our Makam, it means that we exist within Hashem. We are, so to speak, within Hashem. And that's why whenever we, uh, someone passes away and leaves this world, we always say, Why? Because when someone leaves this world, we think they're gone. But we remind them, no, 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 they're still within the makom of reality. Meaning we exist in the physical world. That's not the real world. The real world is, uh, we're not going to get into what's real. What's not real is the physical not real. Is the spiritual and that's real. It's relative layers of reality. But let's just assume that the physical world is real and the spiritual world is real. So we're reminding the relatives of the of, of this mace that even though they passed away, they're not gone. They're just in a different dimension of reality. They're still in the makam of reality just like you are. They're not dead. There is no such thing as death. They're just moving on to different levels of existence. And that's also why in the Haggadah, we say, Baruch HaMakam Baruch Hu, right before talking about the Chacha and the Chacham and the, the, and the Russia and the Tam Mishinu Yodea. Why? Because we're saying that there's different types of people, but they all exist. They all have a Makam within reality. Even the Russia has a Makam within reality. So we say, to, we want to knock out the Shinov. Shinov. You knock out the teeth of the Russia if you subtract the Gematria of Shinav from Russia, you get Tzadik. Because even a Russia, even someone who does something evil, still has a perfect core. And our goal in life is not to destroy evil, but to reveal the aspect of how even evil creates and enables the ultimate good, um, which obviously is a whole topic within itself right as well. Lots of really awesome topics here. We're not going to go into them right now. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about the shame of Hashem, Yud which is the makam of the world. It is that which is beyond time. It creates the space of time and space, meaning it is the makam, it is the, the ability for time and space to come into existence. Is It exists within this makam, within this space that Gosh Baruch created for us. We exist within this created manifest world. And let's take a step deeper. Yud Kavavke also reflects the concept of oneness. We live in a world of multiplicity. You're over there, I'm over here, you're, this thing's over there, that thing's over there, there's different colors in the spectrum of light, and there's different things happening, different svarim here. It's, it's a world of multiplicity, of breakdown, of, of complexity, but Yudkevevke is, is the realm and the concept of absolute oneness, where everything is absolutely one. Not one as opposed to two, but oneness. Everything is absolutely, simply interconnected, one, holistic, perfect. And I mean, the best way of thinking of that is light, because when you see, um, for example, white light, white light is absolutely simple in one. If it gets refracted through a prism, then you get the, the spectrum of light, different colors. But that oneness gets expressed into two-ness. That's Yud Kivavke expressing himself, so to speak, into the physical world, into a world of two-ness and limitation. And when we refer to Enon Milvado, we would say that we say that within this world, within this world, it appears as if there's us. We're here. We live in a physical world. Hashem's up there. Hashem's you know in the sky in Shemayim in the heavens, whatever the the uh, simple five year old understanding of Hashem is. But Yitkevavke, that perspective is Eino Mavado. That 
Everything is absolutely connected. Everything is interconnected. You're a chiluk elokamim al. You are you're an aspect of Hashem, an expression of Hashem. Everything in this physical world is connected to the spiritual. And at root, everything is absolutely one. And that, in truth, you're not disconnected and separate from Hashem, but you're actually deeply connected, and deeply a part of the spiritual world. And that notion of somehow being in the physical world, being here, and yet also being connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, being connected to that transcendent oneness, that root of reality, that's a paradox. And Yudke Vavke is the root of paradox. It's the root of, of opposites harmonizing into a oneness. Because within philosophy, for example, Aristotle, you can't have A and B. If, 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 you can't have it being an odd number and an even number. It has to either be odd or even. You can't be physical and spiritual. You have to either be physical or spiritual. You can't be perfect and imperfect. You have to either be perfect or imperfect. These are simple logical impossibilities. And according to philosophy, according to basic mathematics, you can't have paradox. It doesn't It's not possible. You can't have contradictions. But within the realm of Yudkei paradoxes could exist. You could have things that and we're going to get to this. And this is something which Newtonian physics was very rational. It was a rational physics. We got to quantum mechanics. And everything started to break down. All the rules of physics, all the rules of logic, everything that we knew to be true started to break down. And we started to reveal the idea that even within this physical world, you have at root this spiritual, metaphysical, paradoxical oneness. And it's also, it really is fascinating because at the root and heart of the physical world is a spiritual foundation. Quantum mechanics is, is revealing the fact that, I mean, first of all, all the physical, all of the physical world is an expression of the spiritual. So we know that mystically, we know that uh, from our, our sources, our, our machshava, um, you know, our, our rishonim and our chronim, but modern science is showing how the physical is an expression of energy. How matter is really just concretized in a limited visual form of energy, and everything's made out of energy, which is you know more and more the the world of matter, the world of science is coming into in, in touch with deep spiritual principles that we've been you know, teaching and believing for thousands of years. But it truly is wondrous to to see how science is coming in tune with with these deep foundational and fundamental spiritual ideas. But but Elohim is different than Yudke Vavke. How so? So Elohim is how Hashem expresses himself in the physical world. It's, it's not the absolute root core of perfection, it's the expression. So you have Elohim, it, it's the Shulchan Aruch, the Grand Nefshachayim, referred to it as, as how Hashem reveals himself within nature. It's the, it's the realm of Teva, which is why Elohim has the gematria of Hateva, uh, of the natural, the world of nature. Because this world of nature, this natural world, is actually deeply spiritual and, and is, is how Hashem reveals himself and expresses himself in the world. And Elohim, if you look at Elohim, it's plural, Elohim. It's also, beyond being plural, uh, which reveals, which, which reflects the idea that it's, it's how Hashem expresses himself into a world of multiplicity. There's this notion that it's used to refer to other things. So, for example, Elohim, and yes, I just said Elohim, because when you refer to human judges, the Torah refers to them as Elohim, because they are godly beings who are 
you know, reflecting their Tzalem Elohim, remember it's Tzalem Elohim, not Tzalem Elohim, the more limited expression of Hashem, the reason it refers to judges or refers to human people is because Elo, Elo, Elohim can also refer to something that's human and limited and mundane. It has other, just like Adnos, Shem Adnos, that also refers to it's a Adon, it's a, it's a master, someone who's a master over someone else is, is an Adon. But there's no, there's no other reference in, in Hebrew for what Yudkevavke refers to. It only refers to Hashem himself. That, that's it. It doesn't refer to anything else. Elohim can also refer to Elohim, to human judges. So l- l- let's try to understand this. There's one other really, really strange aspect, which is that Elohim, this, this name of Hashem, can also refer to Elohim Acherim, to Avoduzara, to these other gods that, that people would worship. And why why is it why is that same word Elohim used when referring to Avodah Because Elohim is how we refer to Hashem when He expresses into the multiplicity into this world. Elohim, well, these the, the when we refer to Avodah through that word Elohim Acherim, we're talking about viewing the forces of nature, these kochos, as independent kochos, and not sourcing it back to Hashem. So the way Hashem created the world is that you have the, the Hashem himself, and you have layers, spiritual layers of filtering out Hashem's absolute perfection until you get to this physical world. And each of those worlds has Shafa, has these spiritual emanations that flow from each world down to get to the physical world. Avodah Zara wasn't idolatry, it wasn't like worshipping stones and worshipping the sun. It was worshipping the kochos, the revealed aspect of that shefa, of, of the kochos that affect the physical world, without sourcing it ultimately back to Hashem. And the Rambam talks about this, the Ramchal talks about this, we have this you know, discussed in many, many different places, where the real problem of, of Avodah Zara wasn't being a fool, it was, it was a level of foolishness, but it wasn't being an absolute fool. It was just refusing to source yourself back to Hashem. It was just taking the good, saying that, okay, I'm going to get this or that, the thing that I need from there, the thing I need from there, but I'm not going to actually go back to Hashem because that's going to require me being an ever Hashem. That's a responsibility. That's, I have to keep mitzvahs. I have to do good things. Then I'm just going to take what I want. It's like the beautiful marshal that you know, can use for this. Is the person goes into the store and, and goes to the guy behind the desk and says, I know this costs $5,000, but... I'll slip you 200 bucks and you'll give it to me. Why? Because you can give it to me. You have access to it. So instead of going to the person who owns the store and saying, I know I have to pay 5,000 bucks, you go to the intermediary and you say, I'll give you a little less, but you can keep it and I'll just take what I want. So you're really just self- you're serving yourself. It's really just selfishness. That's the root of, of, of a desire. But Elohim Acherim, the reason why we refer to it as Elohim is because you're tapping into the concept of Elohim, which is how Hashem reveals himself in this world, but you're not sourcing that back to Yerkevavke, back to its source. You're corrupting it and viewing it as an independent source. And that's really the concept of Avodazar. So if you want to think of it, uh, I'll give you just two, two beautiful mashalim. So when it comes to electricity, electricity itself, you can say, you can say the, you know, the in, in this muscle, not actually, electricity would be Yudkei How electricity is manifest through a light bulb, when the light bulb lights up, that's Elohim. How electricity is manifest through a, a, a fridge or a toaster oven or a microwave or any other appliance, that would be Elohim. It's the manifestation of that absolute oneness, of the absolute core um, 
core root. Another example would be what we talked about when it comes to white light. So white light would be Elohim, and the, the, when it gets expressed through a prism, limited and refracted into multiplicity, different colors of the spectrum of, the, of, the, of light, that would be Elohim. So obviously it's just a marshal, it's an analogy. An analogy is never the thing itself, but it helps you wrap your head around it. Help us like it falls into place. You start to really understand the ideas that we're talking about. So now let's get back to our question. When we talk about Hashem revealing himself through Yudkevavkeir Elohim, what are we referring to? So Elohim refers to a more limited miracle. When Hashem originally revealed himself to the Avos, he didn't reveal his absolute Yudkevavke, he revealed Elohim. Now, Elohim, what's an Elohim miracle? An Elohim miracle is where you uproot a certain law of nature. You show that the laws of nature are actually controlled by and, and according to the ruts and the will of a Kadesh Baruch Hu. So, nature is uprooted and the miracle is occurring within the natural. So, for example, look at Avram, look at Sarah. So, Sarah... Sarah didn't have a womb. The Gemara talks about how Sarah, it wasn't that she was just barren. She didn't have a womb. She didn't have a, a, a base flood. Hashem uprooted the natural and gave her a womb. So it wasn't that she you know, had a child without a womb. It was that the rules of nature were uprooted to the extent that she now went from not having a womb to having a womb and went at the, her old age was able to have a child. So that was a rule of nature being uprooted overrule, so to speak. So, for example, we have Avram. Avram, the famous Midrash, it says that Avram was thrown into a fire by Nimrod and threw him into a Kifshana Asian magic and miraculously Avram survived. So what happened? The rules of nature were overturned. The Mepharshim talked about how there was a force that stopped the fire from harming Avram. So the fire didn't stop being fire. Avram didn't stop being Avram. The fire was fire. Avram was Avram. And a rule of nature was broken. What happened? The, something came and stopped the fire from harming Avram. So there's a debate whether maybe the fire, um, th this force kept the fire away from Avram, so, or it cooled him down so he didn't, or according to one opinion, it's possible that his body turned into a material that was resistant to the flame. But whatever it was, the miracle was that nature was overturned. A rule was overturned. So what's the difference between that and a Yudkei miracle? A Yudkei miracle... Nature isn't overturned. There's an absolute paradox. Nature continues to perform exactly as it normally does, and yet something else happens as well. You enter into a paradoxical state. Remember, we talked about Yudkevavke is this realm of paradox, of oneness, where you don't have you know, one thing overcomes another thing, but you have contradiction that exists within this paradoxical framework. So, for example, one, one great example which Hashem says, I'm going to reveal to Moshe, I'm going to reveal to Kleistral now, which he does through the Makos, and we'll get to beyond just the Makos. But what, what happens in, in the Makos Dam? So the Pashup shot that we have when it comes to the Makos Dam is that the water was blood when a Mitzri had it, and it turned into water when a Jew had it. So if a Mitzri tried to grab it from a Jew, it turned from water into blood. So you have this back and forth. It's either blood or it's water. It's blood or it's water. But the deeper idea, which some of the Mepharshim talk about, is that it wasn't blood, then water, or water, then blood. It didn't switch back and forth. The Mitzri couldn't just grab it from a Jew and turn it back into blood for the Mitzri when he took it from the Jew. It was blood, and it was water. It was a paradox. What do, you, what do I mean by that? I mean that it was both at the same time. But how can it be both? It can't, it can't. Exactly. It was both. It was water, and it was blood. For the Jew, it was water. 
For the mystery, it was blood. And they were looking at the same thing. If the Jew looked at it, it was water. If the Jew took it, it was water. If the Jew drank it, it was water. If the mystery looked at it, it was blood. If the mystery took it, it was blood. If the mystery drank it, it was blood. They were seeing the same thing. Physically, it was the same thing. But in their eyes, and in, in, in the physical experience they had, and physically how it looked to them and how it felt to them, it changed for them. It was a complete paradoxical reality, which gets into partially the subjective nature of reality, that everything is how you see it. Hashem allowed the Jews to see it one way, but it was beyond just seeing it. Physically, it was both. For the Jew who drank it, it was blood. It was water, sorry. And for the mystery who drank it, it was, it was blood. But it didn't change. Everything stayed consistent for them. It wasn't, you know, th- this this magic trick where it looked like it was blood for the Mitzri, and then it changed into blood when it went to the Mitzri, and it looked like it was water for the Jew, and it turned into water when the Jew drank it. It was actually both. It was a paradox. And I know the moment that you say that, your mind tries to figure out, okay, but really it was this, no, but really it was changed at the very last moment, and it just looked like blood, but really it was still water when the Jew was holding it, but when the Mitzri held it, it changed into blood, but the Jew, it still looked like water. Don't try to get around it and try to rationalize, try to figure out how logically it makes sense. It was a paradox. And that is the Yudkivavke miracle. It is a miracle of paradox. And there are other examples of this as well. For example, we have the Hananah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were also saved from a fire. And so remember, for Avraham, this force came in and protected Avraham. So fire was fire, Avraham was Avraham, and you basically have this, this way of protecting Avraham. But when it came to the Hananah, Mishael, and Azariah, when they were thrown into the fire, they didn't become invulnerable to the fire. For, for them, the fire wasn't, it wasn't kept away from them. But rather, the fire burned, and they were burnable, right? Their, their clothes were scorched, if you look at the, at the Pesukim, and yet it still doesn't burn them. Because two things, two exact opposite exi- uh, things were existing within this paradoxical reality, and yet they both existed. And that was the paradox. The fire was fully fire. They were fully burnable and yet they didn't burn and the rules of it wasn't that the rules of nature were overturned it was that the rules of nature remain the rules of nature and yet it didn't apply and that's the paradox that's the good kevavke paradox and we have there's also but the Aron. the Aron, if you look at the gemara the gemara megillah the base it says the Aron eno min hamida the Aron does not mida why what's the discussion because the Aron was a certain shear Halachically, the Aaron has to be a certain shear. And the Kodesh Kodoshim was a certain shear, a certain size. And yet, somehow, the distance between the Aaron and the edges of the Kodesh Kodoshim were the same as the actual measurements of the Kodesh Kodoshim, which means that the Aaron took up no space in the Kodesh Kodoshim. Which doesn't make sense, because the Aaron has to take up space, because halachically it has certain measurements, it has to be a certain size. So the Gemara solves this and says it's a paradox. The, the, the Aron has measurements and yet it takes up no space. How, how come it takes up no space? That's a, an amazing, amazing question. I'm glad you asked. And, and there's a whole amazing discussion about that, which we, we could potentially go into. But you have to understand first that the, the, it took up no space, and yet it had to have a shear. And that well, you don't say, oh, it really didn't have a shear. It was tiny. It was a tiny Aron. Oh, really? The, the kosher connection was bigger than we thought? No, no, no. The kosher connection was the right size. The Aron was the right size. And yet the Aron took up no space. It was a paradox. Why? Well, that's because we're talking about the kosher connection. We're talking about the place where place and space and time comes into existence. 
Remember we talked about how there are concentric layers of existence. How the world came into existence from the Evan Shasia, which is on the bottom of Kedosh HaKadoshim. That's where space came into existence. Where the, the rock of formation is where the world came into formation. It's where the rules of time and space come into being, which is obviously why they can also cease to exist. Because where the rules come into being, they don't have to apply. That's why you have concentric layers of time and space of where time and space apply. Rest of the world, time and space applies. Eretz Yisrael, space-time, space-time, and we're not going to get into Einstein's space-time continuum, but and his theory of space-time, but space and time start to break down, so to speak. That's why the Gemara talks about how Eretz Yisrael is like the skin of a deer, where when you take it off of a deer, it's, it's, you wonder how could the skin possibly have stretched over the deer. And that's why... Eretz Yisrael will always be big enough to fit Klai Yisrael, even if it doesn't make any sense. And Yushalayim, they said that everyone would come, although the regal would come all the way to Yushalayim, and they would fill the streets of Yushalayim, everyone would sleep in Yushalayim, and yet no one ever complained they didn't have enough, they didn't have a place to stay. How's that possible? Can't fit all of Klai Yisrael? Paradox. When it came to the Azara, getting even closer to the Kosha Kedashim, getting closer to Evan Shasiyah, when they would stand up in the Azara, everything, it would be crowded. When they would bow down, which you'd assume would be even more crowded, no one felt crowded whatsoever. So part of that was, you know, the Bali Muster would say that you negate your ego, you bow down, you negate your ego. That's, you know, Gaiva makes you expansive, negate your ego, you become smaller, you realize how much space there is. But there's also the, the, the Bali Machshav and the Mepharshim talk about how when they bow down, once they bow down, would, would so to speak, submit, negate their ego to Akash Baruch Hu, they entered into this, this realm beyond time and space, where time and space ceased to really apply in that same sense because they got closer to Kodesh HaKadoshim. Once they get to the Kodesh HaKadoshim itself, rules of time and space go out the window. Aaron took up in no space. The Gemara talks about in the Gila, says, Aaron eno min hamida, which is the, the real nace. And that's also why we're not going to talk about it. Right now, it's a whole shear, but Kvitsa Saderach always takes place in relation to getting closer to Eretz Yisrael because Kvitsa Saderach is transcending the laws of time and space. It's, you know, whether you're disappearing and reappearing or just going faster, uh, a lot of different discussions of what Kvitsa Saderach is. But simply put, Kvitsa Saderach is traveling at pace that is beyond the natural pace that was always on the way to Eretz Yisrael or in something related to that. So we're not going to get into, for example, the case of Eliezer having Kvitsa Zerach when he's going to marry off Yitzchak to Rivka, because that's different. That's also in relation to Yitzchak, which is Ketzchai. He was uh, in the Akedis Yitzchak happened on Hara Maria, which is the Makam HaMikdash, which is definitely related to these ideas. But we're not going to... These, these are all all incredibly deep topics, which if you know, if you've heard past that we've talked about this, obviously everything's coming into place. If this is a little bit, uh, <laughs> if you're getting a little lost, don't worry at all. The idea is that Yudkevavke represents this concept of going Lamalaminatava, going into this this supernatural realm that where basically the rules of time and space cease to exist. And it's this paradoxical type of miracle. So another example an amazing example is if you look at it when for Yoshua the sun stopped. There's a famous episode where Akash Baruch Hu makes the sun stop for Yoshua. So one second, the sun stopped. So what about you know? <laughs> what about for everyone all over the world? So the Maharal says that the sun stopped just for them. For everyone else, it was exactly how it was. But for them, it, so we ask, what do you mean? So it did stop or it didn't stop? If it, if it did stop, it stopped for everyone. If it didn't stop, it didn't stop for anyone. 
what's going on here? So the Maharal says the paradox. For, for Klai Yisrael, for those people who were there, the sun stopped. For everyone else, it didn't. It's a Yudkev Avkin miracle. And the last one we'll talk about is Kriyas Yamsuf. Kriyas Yamsuf, if you look at the Psukim, the Psukim are very strange. The Psukim say that Klai Yisrael walked in the midst of the ocean, mixed of the Yamsuf, on dry land. So one second, were they in the Yamsuf or did the Yamsuf part and they were on dry land? So the simple understanding is that they went where there used to be water, but now they were on dry land. That's the simple understanding. But some of the Bala Nachshava talk about how it wasn't that they were walking on dry land once it became dry land, meaning it was once ocean and now it's dry land. No, no, no. They were walking on dry land and they were walking in the Yamsuf. And it was a paradox. It was both. They were walking in the water on dry land. And that was the paradox. And if you think about it, that's, you know, first of all, what was that like? Just think about what that must have been like to experience, what that must have looked like. You can only imagine. But why are we called, the, we're called the Ivrim. The name of the Jewish people, we are, we are the Ivrim. We are the Ivrim. So why is this our name? So, Ivrim means one who crossed from one side to another side, one side of the ocean to another side, one side of the Yamsuf to the other side. That's you know, where we're going. Well, one possible answer is from the Yamsuf. So simple understanding is because of Avram. We know that Avram received the name because he crossed the sea, but he also crossed from what he was on one side and everyone else was on the other side, meaning he had one philosophy of life. He believed in Hashem and everyone else was uh, was serving up with the Zara. So... This notion of crossing over the sea as being the root of Avraham, and also him going this to this opposite direction, is very connected to Klai Yisrael going. First of all, it's on our way to receive the mount, to receive the Torah and the Har Sinai Mountain Torah, which is where we got our mission to really be, you know, Anif Shivri, who's on the other side and, and inspires the rest of the world and ourselves to follow the correct path in life. But part of it is because Klai Yisrael is a nation that exists within the paradoxical and our very root was the miracles of, 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 of the Makos, which are these paradoxical miracles, but also Kriyas Yamsuf, where we entered into the paradoxical, in water, on land, and that became our root. We became comfortable with the paradoxical. A lot of people are not comfortable with the paradoxical. They need things to be simple, either A or B. But the paradoxical mind is able to synthesize, harmonize, and create oneness out of disparate seemingly contradictory parts, which is the Torah consciousness. That is the Torah mind. We became the nation of paradox. And that really needs to be our root, meaning this was, according to the Maral, Kriya Samson was the birth of Klai Yisrael. Remember, the world was originally birthed out of water. The, when it talks about the, the story of Beratius, the dry land emerged from water. The recreation of the world, once again, the world was resubmerged in water. Hashem sent the you know the marble, and Noah went on the teva, and then the dry land once again emerged from the water. The rebirth of the Jewish people as a nation. I mean, originally it was Adam, then humanity failed, so Hashem recreated the world with Noah. Then Hashem gave the real mission of humanity to Klai Yisrael. What happened when when He recreated the world once more, gave Klai Yisrael their mission in life? Once again, we were submerged in water. And we were reborn, came out of that water. I mean, each of us, when we're in the womb, we're submerged in the waters of the, the fetal fluids, and we are, so to speak, birthed into this world. 
And the, the birth of Klai Yisrael happened through Kriyas Yamsuf, but we are also known for that because through that birth, we also entered into this paradoxical state of, of being comfortable with the paradoxical. We were in water and we were on land and the two seemed to contradict each other and yet they're both true. So this is, this is the first stage. So we're going to develop four different types of miracles. The first type of miracle is the Yudke Vavke miracle, which is the paradoxical miracle. The second is the Elohim miracle, which is a miracle that overcomes the rules of nature. The third type of miracle, which is why Perm is always connected to Pesach, represents the transition of history into the, the hidden miracles of life, where Hashem is no longer openly manifest. We don't have miracles, we don't have prophecy, we don't have the rules of nature being overrun, we don't have the problem of Vodazara, we don't have the Beis Hamikdash, we don't have Karbanos, we don't have any of these miraculous events happening in this world anymore. We now enter into the hidden miracles of life. And that is the, the concept of Purim. I mean, Anshik and once they got rid of rid of Avodazara, got rid of the Yitzhara for Avodazara, we no longer had Navuo, we no longer had, had prophecy or miracles. They instituted Brachos so that we can connect everything in our lives to Hashem. And they instituted Tfila because people used, there was no set Tfila. People used to naturally connect everything in their life to Hashem, but we don't have miracles anymore. So now we have set Tfila to really tap into the unique set structure that the Anshik and uh, the men of the great assembly created for us so we can tap into these ideas, connect to Hashem, and really find the the miracles that are occurring within life. And, and the real question is like this. When we, we enter into, we're going to try to create this contrast with Purim, but the question is, why did Hashem take away this first stage? Why don't we have miracles anymore? Why don't we have prophecy? Why has history changed, so to speak? So the simple answer that's given is free will. The simple answer is that originally everything was clear. When it comes to Pesach, Hashem openly revealed Himself. Everything was so posh, everything was so clear. Of course we're going to choose Hashem. So that's why we, we usually we talk about the Gemara in Shabbos. Discusses how the first Man Torah, the first Kabbalah Torah was forced. We had no free will. But now that Hashem has, so to speak, taken a step back, Hester upon Him, now we have to look past the surface. We have to choose to see Hashem. That's free will. Kimu v'kiblu amperim. We chose to accept the Torah. That's the new stage of reality. That's what we live in. But it gets even deeper than that because there's another layer, which is that originally, well, let's put it like this. The Ramchal, the Arizal, the Vilna Gon, many other sources as well, they say how everything always has three layers, three levels, three stages. The first stage is a gift, where everything is perfect, everything's clear. The next stage, everything is taken away, because when it's clear, when it's a gift, it's not real, it's not earned. The second stage, once that first stage is taken away, you get to earn it and build it yourself. And the third stage is where you get back to the original stage, but this time it's real because you earned it. So, you know, a great marshal is when a child's learning how to walk. First, a parent will hold him up, and the child will be walking. But is that real? The child... Is clearly not doesn't know how to walk, so the parent will let go. The child will think, well, how can you let go? What are you doing? I'm walking. Why are you letting go? But the parents let it go so the child can actually learn how to walk. And then because the child was shown how to walk by the parent, the child eventually learns how to walk. And now it has it for its own. Now it can actually walk independently. So originally Hashem revealed the miraculous, revealed himself. Everything was clear in the world. And then Hester Pandem Hashem takes a, sta- a step back, so to speak, hides himself. We have to choose to see Hashem. We have to choose to see the miraculous, to see the hidden miracles of life. 
And that's the Purim story, where there was no open miracle, but once you put all the pieces of the event together of, you know, Vashti didn't go, then Haman came to power, then Esther was chosen to replace him, Mordechai happened to hear Bixen and Seresh, and Esther was in the, you know, and then this happened and that happened, and the date that Haman set was really his own date that was all in the shrine. The gallows he set for Mordechai, really, he hung on those gallows. Everything became flipped in the Hafahu. It was a hidden miracle. There's no open, no, no rule of nature was broken, but we, we chose to see Hashem within the natural. And that is the second stage of history, which is earning our connection with Hashem. Kimu v'kiblu, we, we chose Kabbalah Satorah. And if you think about it, the first Kabbalah Satorah, we didn't really have the free will because there was no other option. Of course we're going to accept the Torah. Hashem just took us out of Mitzrayim before the Makkas gave sounds of Kabbalah Satorah, experience of our Sina was angelic, was an otherworldly experience. Of course we're going to accept the Torah. When it came to, to Prayam, there was choice. You don't have to see the miracle. Even if it's staring you straight in the face, you can say, ah, it's, that's, that's where that happens. That's not, that, that's not Hashem. But we chose. We said, no, we, we are choosing to see the miraculous within the natural. And that really was the transition between Purim and Pesach. And that's why we always, always keep Purim as close to Pesach as possible. It's a leap year. Well, we want to always keep Purim as close to Pesach as possible. And that, that's really the challenge. It's what Amalek represents, is, is trying to disconnect us from Hashem, saying, no, don't see the miracles in the natural. You know, it's, like a, it's a great story of a man who decided that he was going to take a nature hike. Didn't tell anyone. Decided he was going to take a nature hike. So he goes to take this hike, and in the middle of his nature hike, he falls off a cliff edge. And as he's falling down, he manages to grab onto a branch. He's holding on for dear life, and he's thinking, like, no one knows that I'm here. He's thinking, like, you know, his whole life flashes before his eyes. He's contemplating his life, and he says, you know, my family doesn't know I'm here. They, they don't know I'm going to die. No one knows I'm here. No one can save me. And all of a sudden, a rope just appears. And he looks up, and someone had thrown a rope over the edge. And he holds onto the rope, and someone pulls him up. And he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. How did this happen? He turns to him and says, how did you know I fell off the cliff? You saw me? You heard me? And the guy says, no, I had no idea you were there. He says, what do you mean? So why did you throw the rope over? And the guy said, you know, I've never done this before, but I woke up this morning, and I thought today was a great day to practice throwing ropes off cliff edges. So I was just practicing throwing ropes, and you happened to be there. So this person, let's call him Danny, Danny can, can think to himself, wow, that's the most random thing I've ever heard. What a coincidence. Or he can say, like, Hashem saved my life. Hashem has my back. That is the most amazing Hashkacha story I've ever heard in my entire life. Now, does he have to see the Hashkacha? Is he able to say that's a coincidence? That's, that's what a kara? That's carry That's what... What random, amazing luck I have. No. Doesn't have to. Does he have to choose Ashkacha? Does he have to? He can choose to see Ashkacha. He can choose to see the randomness and just say, it's, you know, I got lucky. It's a choice. Now, Amali comes to say, everything's random. Choose randomness. We have to find the meaning in Ashkacha within everything. That's part of why Haman chose a gorel. It's a poor, uh, just randomness, lottery. And that's why Amalek attacked us, and Rashi picks up on Karcha Baderach, where Amalek attacks us. Karcha comes from the same root as Kara, happenstance. There's two other meanings, Keri, which is spiritual impurity, and Kar, which is to cool off a flame, which are other ideas that we're not going to go into right now, very, very powerful ideas that we're not going to develop right now. 
But this notion of Amalek trying to disconnect us from witnessing the, the, the hidden miracles of life. And this really is the purpose of Purim. That's really why Purim is always paralleled and connected to Pesach, because Pesach is about recognizing the open miracles, not only Elohim, but Yikivavke, paradoxical miracles. Purim is about the hidden miracles, our stage of history, where you don't see the miraculous. You have to choose to see the miraculous. And, you know, one way of thinking about this, how do we, how do we, how do we think about this? So, so far we've developed three levels of the miraculous. One is paradoxical miracles. Another is where the rules of nature over overturned, they're pushed aside. The third is hidden miracles, seeing the hashkacha, divine providence in your life, and the bali machshava, say that you shouldn't just see the hidden miracles of life. Find out your own Purim story, write your own Megillah. Think about all the events that happen in your life, write them down, and see how all of them connect. Find the hashkacha in your life. Why are, why are you who you are? Think about the, the choices you've made, the decisions you made, the turning points, the, the forks in the road where you went that way, the school you went to, the friends you made, the experiences you had, and put all the pieces together. And in retrospect, see how all the things you thought were the worst things in your life were really the best things in life. That's turning the perm story into your story, really seeing the miraculous hashkacha in every aspect of your life. But beyond these three first levels of miracles, there's a fourth. The fourth level is to recognize that Hashem isn't only hiding behind nature, hashkacha, pratis, it's not only divine providence, but that nature itself is a miracle. And the Ramban says this so beautifully. But let's, let's build this slowly because this is going to be our last point. We talk about nature. Well, what's natural? The fact that you woke up today, the fact that you have breath in your lungs, you have a heartbeat, the fact that the sun rose, the fact that everything is working, functioning, there's homeostasis in the world, natural order. But how do we view the natural in relation to Hashem? Because if does nature, what is nature? Many people think like Hashem controls nature. Hashem is nature. Or Hashem, I don't know, created nature. Or what, what is the relationship between nature and Hashem? So there are those who believe that Hashem created nature and then left it as an independent entity. It's what's called the watchmaker theory, which is that Hashem created the world set up nature, which is the rules of, of, the nature, of the natural world, and Hashem has nothing to do with this world. You know, he went on to do something else, or he's bored of this world, that's what a lot of apikars and a lot of heretics believe, is that Hashem is not, that's why there's so much evil in the world, that's why so many bad people have so many great things happen to them, so many amazing people have bad things happen to them, because there's no hashkacha, everything's random, and Hashem just set this world up. It's like the reason called Watchmaker 3, because the Watchmaker will wind up a clock and just let it go, it runs by itself. Now, there are those who will say, no, 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 of course Hashem not only created this world, but He's involved in this world, but Hashem controls everything. I mean, Hashem created nature and then controls nature. So there's Hashem and He controls nature. So what's the problem with that? You only create a tool if you can't do something yourself. So you have a pen because your finger can't write. And you have maybe like, you know, I don't have one of these, but <laughs> some people have these like, you know, things to, to scrub their back because they can't reach the places on their back where Hashem is flexible. But some people, they, they scrub their back in the bathroom with these things. And your reason you have a phone is because you can't reach people who are at long distances from you. So you have a phone to reach. So the tools are there to help you do things you can't do yourself. So when you say Hashem created nature and controls nature, you're still saying Hashem can't do this. He needs to create a tool. 
what's the deepest layer? What's, what's the third perspective of nature? Is that there really is no nature. And we need to be careful because there are those that say there is no nature and that everything is Hashem and you make the, there's no difference between the world and Hashem and that's, you know, pantheism, that, that's not Judaism. That, that's, you know, some people have those questions. Well, what's the relationship between the physical and the spiritual? How there, how is there a distinction? So that's a, a deep topic which really requires a whole series, but definitely at least a full shear. But the physical is not the spiritual. There is a distinction. And we are not Hashem. Don't ever mistaken that we are definitely godly. We are built but there's a there are distinctions in life. But there is nothing but Hashem. And therefore, even this physical world is in some sense an expression of Hashem. And Hashem didn't create the the Teva, didn't create the natural something distinct from him, but the the Teva, the natural, is still a part of Hashem. And the deepest part of, of, of understanding what Pesach revealed is that Enon Milvado and even hidden miracles, even the natural, even the physical, that's also being done by Hashem. And the Nefesh HaChaim talks about it like this. We'll abstract a little bit, we'll give you a mushal. Imagine you think about someone inside of, your, inside of yourself. So imagine right now, think of someone, give him you know, a name and give him a body and give him clothes and give him a past, a story, give him a personality. So you're creating someone inside of you. And now don't think about that person anymore. Don't think about him. Stop thinking about it. Think about something else. Of course, if I tell you to think about something else, you probably still think about him because you're trying not to think about him. But besides for that, slight complication. Uh, it's like if you say, you know, don't think about orange. You immediately think about orange. But don't stop thinking about him and that person ceases to exist. So Hashem creates us. You know, we're not going to get into all the, the spiritual metaphysics, but we are thoughts of Hashem. The fact that you exist is because Hashem is thinking about you. And, and if, that, if that one idea doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. Because for me, that is the most mind-blowingly incredible idea I've ever heard in my entire life. That Hashem is thinking about me and that is why I exist. That Hashem is thinking about you and that's why you exist. Hashem is thinking about the world and that's why the world exists. Hashem is constantly willing and choosing the world to come into existence. It wasn't a one-time thing that Shachayim says. It's a constant choosing uh, of, the, of bringing the world into existence by thinking about the world and choosing to bring it into fruition. Everything in the world is a miracle, then. Because everything, what is a miracle? There are no, there's no such thing as a miracle. A miracle is when Hashem was constantly creating the world and then chose to constantly, um, to, within that constant creation, to just change something. It's not that all of a sudden he's coming in and, and interacting with the world and, and he's up there and now he's coming down. Everything is the will of Hashem. There is nothing in the world that is not a miracle. The Ramban says this so potently and so powerfully. He says that the Nisim Niglan, the open miracles of Mitzrayim, of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, revealed the Nisim Nistarim, revealed that everything in the world is a miracle. Because when he when he did something different by Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the Makos, Chrysiapsov, Matan Torah, what was that? Was that Hashem for the first time interacting with the world, for the first time doing something miraculous? No, it's revealing that everything he does, everything in the world is the Ratzon Hashem. And that Hashem has complete control over everything. And that, yes, every day he chooses to make the sun go up. Every day he chooses to bring you into existence. But that's not natural. It doesn't have to happen. And there's no automatic cycle bringing that into happening. Hashem is constantly choosing to make it happen. And he does it in a way which is natural so that you don't have to choose to see it as a revelation of a Baruch You don't have to choose to see it as the Ratzon Hashem. You can choose to say Hashem's not involved 
involved in my life. Hashem is not involved in the world. You can choose to see the natural as the natural instead of the miraculous. And that is the real theme of the miracles of Pesach. And if we go back to our original opening story, the boy clapping, that's what, that's what Kriyas Yamsov, that's what the Makos were, that's what Mount Torah was. It's Hashem, every Hashem's clapping, every day Hashem's doing the same thing, making it look like this is what has to happen, making it look like this is the natural, this is what has to happen. And then that one time in history, Hashem stopped clapping and said, you know, I don't have to clap. I've been clapping all this time, but it's been a choice. And therefore, the rules of nature, I'm going to uproot them. I'm going to make it different. And I'm going to reveal Yud Kim I'm going to reveal the miracles, the, the paradoxical miracles. And I also, I'm going to reveal Elohim in a certain sense as well. Elohim and Yud Kim were revealed by, by the, the story of Yitzhak Shem Not just Yud Kim but that in tandem, that there's the transcendent paradoxical that also manifests into the physical. And that there's a deep connection between the physical and the spiritual. And that we could have a connection, a relationship with Hashem. And that's what Mount Torah was about. It's saying that, there's supposed to be an ongoing connection relationship where not only can we connect to Hashem, which is what the Montour experience was, but that we can then express that Ratzon and become partners with the Kaj Baruch Hu in the ongoing story of history and become you know, the people who accept the mission of what this world is about, which is revealing the oneness of Hashem, performing mitzvahs, learning Torah, and revealing the spiritual truth of reality and living with a higher consciousness, a higher purpose. And you know, fulfilling the the the, the tikkun of the chayr adam, of what adam wasn't able to do, we got that mission. And you know, I'll, I'll end off with just one one powerful insight, which is the true miracle of life. You, you know, very often we're inspired by certain types of people, and, and very often we're inspired by organ donors. Have you ever been to one of those? Have you ever been to one of those meetings where an organ donor meets the person who he donated to, and it's powerful? There's so much emotion in the air. And why is there so much emotion in the air? Why is there so much palpable emotion? I mean, people cry. It's such amazing. It's an amazing thing, because that person who needed an organ was gonna die. Was gonna die, and had no hope. Thought maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna die within the next few weeks, few months, and this person chose to give them life, gave them an organ. And when they're meeting, this person's meeting his hero. The hero saved his life. Well, I have news for you. Every single day, Hashem does the same thing for you. But instead of giving you one organ, instead of giving you one life-saving organ, Hashem gives you life itself, gives you all of your organs, gives you your body, gives you everything you have. And every single day when you say, Modani, we need to have that intent. That's how you view your life as a miracle. Every day, every moment of existence is a miracle. Hashem is your organ donor every single morning. Every day Hashem gives you life, gives you existence. And you don't, we don't understand what it really... If you understood the fact that Hashem continuously, every second gives you life, going to sleep is, is, is amazing. Because every single day when you go to sleep, who says you're going to wake up tomorrow? You don't have to wake up. You don't have to exist right now. The fact that you exist right now does not mean you're going to exist in five seconds from now, let alone tomorrow. Every moment, every day, everything is, an exist, is a gift. Everything is, a, is the most incredible gift from Hashem. Every, every moment's a miracle. And when we understand that, 
when we understand the miraculous nature of existence, and obviously we understand how to find the miraculous within the natural, but we really learn to see Hashem within every aspect of our lives. And, and that's my bracha to us, is that when we go into Pesach this year, we really have that intent, that mindset uh, of saying, I want to find Hashem in one more thing today than I did yesterday. An everyday build. So I want to find Hashem in my relationships, in my, in my body. Learn about the, the incredible aspect of your body. And then learn about your mind. Then learn about nature. Learn about science. Learn every sugi and shas that you learn. Say, how does this affect my relationship with Hashem? And I'm not trying to fluff up Talmud Torah because, you know, this is not saying like, oh, forget. No, no. Enhance every aspect of halacha that you learn. Say, how is this affecting my awareness and connection with Hashem? Every midah that you work on, say, how is this impacting my relationship with Hashem? So when you work on your midahs, when you work on, on you know, understanding halacha, when you go deep into sugis and shas, when you're learning Gemara B'in, when you're learning Gemara B'kis, always have an awareness of just finding more and more of the miraculous, of, of connecting to Hashem in a deeper way in everything that you do. And my bracha is that when we do that, this Pesach, not only will we tap into the miraculous concepts of, of the makos when we, go, when we go over the Haggadah this year, it should be with such kavanah, we should, you know, don't just go in with other people's insights. Really spend some time going over the Haggadah and trying to come up with your own insights, trying to really bring an idea, chiddush, be kona, some aspect of your Torah before you go into the, into the, into the Seder this year. But in addition to that, in addition to talking about the miracles of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, the open miracles, will tap into the Ramban's Nisim Niglaim reveal the Nisim Nistarim. And will really be inspired to not only find the, the Nisim Nistarim, the hidden miracles on Pesach, when I really think about this, but bring that into the rest of the year. And Nisim is the birth of the rest of the year. It's, you know, it's, it's the birth of Jewish people. But we should be Zochet to really find the miraculous, always within the natural.